I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. The summer and autumn period of 2019 were a total joy for me, and never in my wildest dreams had I imagined I would be up to my eyes co-writing the music to one of the more obscure plays written by Shakespeare, his rather challenging Troilus and Cressida. But there I was, day and night, surrounded by a plethora of amazingly talented actors, actresses, stage and costume designers, musicians, and all sorts of magical people, all coming together to create a Shakespeare family for a few months. Well, one actress who just seemed to sweep the stage up with her extraordinary presence and charisma was Adjua Andu, who played Ulysses, hailing from the fiery Greek camp. And certainly Adjua's fire and zest were electrifying and I simply could not take my eyes off her. And of course Adjua has graced our TV and cinema screens and our playhouses and much more with extraordinary performances over a number of years now. But, you know, seeing her live in the most special surroundings of the Royal Shakespeare Theatre in Stratford-upon-Avon was actually truly something else. And it really was. It really was. And, you know, I just can't thank you for the experience because this was the first time I had ever been involved in writing for theatre. And so the okay. whole journey was was just a totally new environment for me. And, mm. Mm. and I think the thing that struck me was... Well, as I said earlier, I mean, it's this family that, that's created, you know, when you're yeah. working on a project from scratch. And uh, and it was quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, wow, well, I'm a, I'm amazed that's the first time you've written for theatre because it, it was so brilliant, Evelyn. Oh, uh, so everything you said, I have to say to you, I'm just, I'm such a fan. Oh, um, I, I worked with an actress years an actress a composer years ago called Julie Cooper, Ooh, and I yeah. believe that yeah. So Julie and I, I did my first uh, equity job with Julie in nineteen eighty five. I think she'd just come out of music college, and uh, so 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 yeah. So I've been I I, I came to you through Julie, and um, so I've been a fan. So I was absolutely thrilled when Greg said that you were going to be composing for Troilus and Cressida. I was like. <laughs> So excited. Oh, dear me. So, and, um, <clears throat> I mean, when you are working with music mm. in a live situation like that, I mean, how does that work for you? Do you prefer to know what that musical score may be ahead of time? Or are you surprised if suddenly it emerges once you've all worked out what you're going to do, you know, as actors and actresses? Does it throw you off in certain situations? What, what actually happens? I, I, I think the process of rehearsing is one of evolution. So uh, to a degree, um, I mean, it's one of my one, one of the things I love the most. You know, somebody has an idea and it gets from here to the page. And then at some point down the track, it gets from the page into a room. And then all these other creative minds um, come to bear on it. And it's it's almost like the the finished product is a... It is another thing entirely because it becomes the the, the fusion of of all the hearts and, and skills and souls that have poured in into the piece. Mm. So um, every time it's different, and I I 
I, I, I wouldn't like to know the whole score ahead of time because I don't know who I am until I've, I've no idea who I am until I'm in the rehearsal. And quite often, I don't know who I am till somewhere in the previews. Interesting. Because it, it becomes a different thing again once you put it in the space. And then when you're in dialogue with, the, you know, the audience, the bodies in the space make a, a difference again. Mm. Um, so um, I, I loved um, being sort of drip fed your music and then it, and then it, and then, and then it all co- uh, coalescing into this huge hole. And I, I loved all the movements, the movement sessions we, we had where we were um, thinking about how we, how we would work with the music and how it informs your um, performance. You know that uh, you know Ulysses has that great big speech at the beginning mm. um, about about the planets, the disordered planets, um, and I I love the sense of um, the percussion being. Um, you know the music of the spheres. I I loved I loved that, and I was really sort of. I I really sort of fell into that notion, as mm. Ulysses. Um, it, it, you know, obviously Ulysses, the dog fox. He's <laughs> the, the Ulysses is the arch manipulator, so yeah. draws on anything. So for me, oh, yeah. that notion of the music of the spheres and the the the. Um, the sense of um, us being, you know carbon bouncing off each other yes um, planets human beings everything we're, we're bits of carbon bouncing off each other and 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 so we're the same as in my head we're the same as the instruments to a degree because yeah. it's just a different formulation of the carbon and what that does to your soul and how that informs the way you um you are moved by music and uh, and how that comes out in your character within the narrative of any piece. I, I love all that. My father's a musician, my brother's a musician, my nephew's a musician, my grandmother was a musician. Oh. I'm not a musician. All I ever wanted to be was a, all I ever wanted to be was a bass player in a punk band. Um, <laughs> Never too that's late. All I, well, you say that, Evelyn. <laughs> Never too late. But, but so, yeah. Sorry for interrupting because what I find no, no. very interesting, um, I mean, I remember doing Shakespeare at school, of course, and I didn't. Mm. I didn't enjoy it, to be honest. I really didn't enjoy well, it, and it was quite dry. It it didn't seem to inspire me, mm-hmm. and I was slightly dreading, on the one hand, this project. And it took me an awful long time to say yes to it, to agree to it. And I spent mm. many months. And and Greg Doran, who was extremely patient, um, you know, from the Shakespeare Company, was was just saying, well, you know, have you thought more about it and so on. And I was frightened by the language. I was frightened by yeah. not necessarily understanding fully, fully what this story was about. And yeah. and it's interesting um, that, you know, during this whole lockdown period, you actually have started with the Royal Shakespeare Company um, a project called Homework Help. And uh, And, you know, this is trying to decipher you know the language of the plays and you you commented on the fact that well just imagine it's it's someone speaking in a different uh different accent you know yeah and and that's so interesting actually and if only that was said when I was you know 13 14 15 years old it it that might have just made the difference just that one comment yeah I know I am uh I like you. Shakespeare was done. I think Shakespeare's quite often done no favors uh, in the way that it's sort of a box ticking exercise at school quite a lot of the time. And I'm sure teachers aren't 
best thrilled at the way they have to uh, disseminate the work quite a lot of the time. I mean, he's not supposed to be read. It's like, mm. it's almost like saying, hello, children, here's a piece of, here's a piece of music. Now just read this musical score. Enjoy. <laughs> it's, do you know what I mean? Yes. You're supposed, you're, you go to hear the play. That's yeah. why it's an auditorium. You know, you don't, you don't go to read the play. He was, he was yeah. banging it out at a rate of knots. People were just getting their parts. You didn't see the whole play. It's a live experience. You're supposed to follow the story. What's going on? You know, and um, I, uh, I just remember, I mean, I've done Julius Caesar twice now. I've played Portia for Greg. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I played Casca for Nick Heitner at the bridge. And um, Julius Caesar was my uh, my uh, O level play. And I remember we had to read round the class. Can you imagine? Mm. Read the play round the. Oh, it was just mm. it was death. Yeah. It was so dreary. Nobody knew what they were saying. You couldn't hear half the people. Mm. You know. So mm. I I just think the first thing go and see a play. Go and see it. I remember my first Shakespeare was, um, I saw The Tempest and Captain Mannering off of Dad's Army was playing Prospero. Oh, my Lord. I know. Wow, I can was, you I was, imagine? It was so exciting. Brilliant. And I just, that's the, that's the way you need to come, you need to come at it. Like, I think of Shakespeare, you know, uh, go and see a panto, go and see a Shakespeare. It's mm. the same thing. If Absolutely. it's good, it's good. Um, I mean, obviously, the language of Shakespeare is different from "He's Behind You," but I mean, there's that. There should be that level of entertainment and yes. engagement. And and Troilus and Cressida really was because what was hugely helpful in this whole process was um, attending the very first rehearsals when you were all together. Do you remember in London yeah. and in? Uh, yeah. I can't remember exactly the venue. In now. Clapham, in the that rehearsal rooms in that... Clapham. Yeah. <laughs> And you were all sitting around this table with Greg and you literally started with the first sentence of the play. And he went round each person more or less and said, well, what do you think that means? And, you know, many of you had different ideas as regards to how you might have interpreted or translated Mm -hmm. it or whatever. And I think what he was looking for or... From what I could gather anyway, I mean, I was sitting, you know, in, in a corner of the room, but but trying to think, well, how do you translate that particular sentence or phrase of Shakespeare? And then how might it be interpreted? And it's yes. just so similar to music, you know, looking at a phrase yes. on a printed page, thinking, yep, that's how I would interpret the piece or rather translate the piece. However, you go away and think about how you may in, interpret it. And, and sometimes you do need other forces for that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so when I, when I direct now, uh, if I, especially if I'm directing Shakespeare, I just nick from, I've just nicked from Greg the notion, <laughs> still from the prose. Well, you've got to yeah. do it, you've got to do it. Um, I, I've just, I, what I, the, the thing that he does on day one of rehearsals that I really love is you don't read your own part. Uh-huh. You read, as you described, you read round the table, you know, just the coincidence of where you happen to be sitting. That's what, that's what, and if it hits, if it lands on you and it was your part, it skips to the next person mm. because it, it, it makes you have to pay attention to the whole play. Absolutely. And then we all have ownership as a company. And as you say, you become that family and this is your story. Um, because uh, what can happen with actors, uh, you know, it's white noise, white noise, my lines. 
So if suddenly you're not allowed to do your lines, then you have to pay attention to the whole thing. And I and I love that. And in in my rehearsal rooms, I always I always run them like that now, so just so everyone gets. On you go, on you go. Uh, no, no, I was just going to say, just so everybody gets ownership of the whole thing. It's Absolutely. everybody's. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I mean, can you imagine orchestras doing that? You know, sitting with a full score and you've got the trombones and the percussion and the violas and the clarinets and the double basses and saying, right, well, this is how I feel this particular part or, ooh, that's yeah. how I feel the double yeah. basses and how it might influence how I play yeah. my violin part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. I think the thing with orchestras is that you you're all on stage together for the whole piece mm, that's in an true. orchestra. Whereas with, with a with a cast of of actors, I mean, sometimes people go in this production, we're all going to be on stage for the whole the whole time, and most actors go, "Kill me now!" I just want, <laughs> don't make. Um, but um, so that happens sometimes. But generally, um, if it's not your bit, you're you're off out the back um, having a cup of tea or having a pee or um, <laughs> flicking through your emails or something equally banal. So um, so um, this thing of going round to table and all being together at the start may be the only time that you're in the room for the whole story. Mm. Um, because when then you're in rehearsal, you're in, in your little, you come in for your scenes or, yeah. um, you know, so. And, um, and they always say that, you know, it's often uh, in a social situation that you really get to know a person. That's an obvious thing to say, but, but where that can make a difference, how you react or how you interact with a person on stage. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, a, a teeny example of that in my own situation is that I, I work quite a bit with a, a jazz trio and uh, and they're extraordinary musicians, but it's actually meeting them for a drink or a cup of tea or having something to eat in between the times that you can tell an awful lot about that person. And it then yes. makes you have a better understanding as regards to their musical choices or projection, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. on stage. Yeah, I... I um... I directed uh, Richard II at the Globe last year uh, because it was not it was all women of colour and it hadn't ever been done before. So before we started rehearsals, I had three days which I called um, cultural sharing days. Mm. So everybody came in. Uh, we didn't read the play, uh, but what we did, we had people come and talk to us about the history of uh, the history of the play, the history of what was happening for Shakespeare at the time that he wrote the play. Uh, and um, and then concepts around history that we wanted to to bring it to bear, and then I said to everybody, so when you come in, bring uh, a piece of music, uh, a piece of fabric, a poem, a dance, a sculpture, a piece of cake, whatever. <laughs> what you know, bring something that resonates personally for you um, and the play. Mm. And we just spent days talking. Uh, about uh, our lives, about um, how the pieces resonated, what the play meant to us. So it's it's that thing you were talking about. That it's the equivalent of going for a coffee or a glass of wine or whatever, mm. and just getting to know each other. And you abs, I th you absolutely do resonate in a different way on stage when you've got that um, mm. that connection, that that sort of soul connection. Some you know something sort of deep. And, and 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 the, and the work is always richer for it if you've had the time to 
to make those connections, yeah, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, what was so extraordinary was, was the audience interaction during uh, that whole period. And I just wonder, um, you know, do you have a preference uh, whether to, to be on, on that stage in a live situation interacting with, with the audience there and then? Or do you like the combination of doing television work, cinema work, films and so on? Um, you know, what is that difference well, I like doing all of it, mm. um, uh, as long as the material's good. You know, I'm yeah. really... Because then you have to live up to the material and you get excited and you have to bring all your experience and your intelligence and your emotional intelligence to, to bear on the work. So I love that. The thing about uh, a live experience, I think, whether it's music or, or theatre... Um, it's never. It's unique. It's only, that that experience is, cannot be replicated, because there are so many factors. Um, that combination of audience will never be the same on any other performance. Mm. Maybe it was raining. Maybe that's affected how everybody is. Maybe you've had a terrible afternoon before you came to the theatre, or you've had a fabulous afternoon. You know, yeah. it's it's a it's absolutely unique. And you know that thing they say about um, when you get lots of bodies together in a space our heartbeats start to align mm. um you know uh, it, it's such a it's such a humanly unique thing to be gathered in communion and sharing an experience together I think it's something really precious about that and I, I suppose at the moment we're all super aware of how quite how precious that is when we when we find ourselves not able to do that so um so i i do love a live experience the live experience is also absolutely terrifying you know imagine. you can't go can't can we go again a drop to line so there's something about that that means you have to you, you have to dig yourself out and there's something quite thrilling about that if you mess up fix it you yeah. have to you have to fix it or you rely on your colleagues to come in with the next line or to save you dig you I remember years ago I worked with um uh an older actor it's quite early on in my career and we had this really long scene every night I'd have to eat two rum barbers I've never <laughs> eaten a rum barbers <laughs> but um he, he 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 was a fantastic actor but he was just starting to forget his lines and so I knew that I had to know the whole scene so that at any moment I could just take us <laughs> On to the next bit. Well, <laughs> so um, uh, so you do rely on your. There, there is something really beautiful about the live experience for that, and I love things like, um, you know, when you can just you can just go and speak to somebody and say and give them the line, and you're it's just you and them, yeah. and and um, it's it's almost like uh, there's this unique little performance, and then everybody else is seeing something they'll never see on another occasion because um. Yeah, You'll be a different uh, arrangement of people, but then you know there's something I love. I love what you can do with film. Mm. I I love how extraordinary that can be. And again, you have to be on your toes in a different way because then you've got you know, uh, you generally a load of blokes sort of um, feeding wires or uh, yeah. you know <laughs> holding a boom. What can, can you get it right? All, all of that stuff. So you've got to be on your toes for that as well. And Absolutely. then I love. Um, I love doing radio. Uh, I do lots mm. of radio and lots of audio work because because then, you know, it's like all of that is boiled down and it's just your voice. 
everything that you might do with a great lighting designer or some special effects no none of that it's just you and the microphone and the listener's ear Mm. um and i i really i really love the intimacy of that as well absolutely it's it's so interesting because i i suppose i can only liken it to the difference of performing uh as a musician in a recording studio whereby you're thinking mm-hmm. about tone uh, yes. very much more than if you're in a concert platform and everything is projected and magnified yeah. and you feel yeah. you can take lots of chances and okay if they haven't heard it up in the balcony well you know that that's that kind of thing but you really take yeah. the chances there to then yeah. as you say having a television crew and you're seeing all of these wires and booms and this and that and yeah and yeah. Y- you know you don't know which way to turn sometimes and you don't quite know who you're performing to you know it's yeah. just, it's three very different scenarios yeah which is yeah. is quite interesting really but in your yeah. mind what what's the difference between being listened to and being heard Well, I think I think every, everybody uh, who's watching you, your performance is listening to you. But whether it's landing, mm. which is the hearing bit for me, being heard. I remember um, uh, I directed a production of Merchant of Venice with the third years at Rose Bruford. And I decided that I wanted to make the Jews, Falasha Jews uh, from Ethiopia, mm. some of the oldest... Um, Jewish communities in the world Um, and I wanted to have them coming to Italy uh, to Lampedusa as we're seeing at the moment lots of um, people from the African continent coming as refugees to Europe ending up in Italy so I wanted to tell I wanted to just tell the play straight but with that sort of casting and that sort of perspective just to give it another echo I guess and um one of the cast members, he he was um, playing Bassanio, who I I I I had Bassanio being one of uh, the Jews who who who'd come and had become assimilated into Italian society. Uh, his mum came to see a performance of it, and actually, um, Chombo, the name the the guy's name was, uh, his family were from Kenya, and um, they'd come as refugees. And she she came up to me afterwards, and she just said, oh, "You were telling my story. You were telling my story," wow. and. No, I wasn't. I was just telling the Merchant of Venice. But mm. she resonated with it. So for me, she heard the story because all of her life experience was brought to bear on the, the narrative that she was being presented with, that she was listening to, but she heard it in a very personal way. So mm. I suppose for me, that's, that's, the, that's the difference. I remember going to see um, David Hare's Plenty with Kate Nelligan, mm. Uh uh, I was doing my A-levels. I was very depressed. I, I did have a nervous breakdown in the sixth form. And um, drama was one of my few joys. So I was doing drama O-level. You had to go and see a play and then you had to write, you know, you had to write a report on the, what you've been seeing. So I went on a, a to a matinee and sat in the cheap seats in the gods. <laughs> and the play, the play is about uh, a young woman who, during the Second World War... She's been a secretary in London and she's uh, got a facility for languages and she ends up being involved in special ops in France. Um, is amazing, is an amazing spy and s- suddenly is uh, excited by life and really good at what she does. And then she has to come back to England and she has a bigger 
big love affair, has to come back to England and then she's in sort of post-war austere London and she's a secretary again and she's heartbroken. And I sat in the gods and I wept and for, for me, I just understood that there's a possibility that you can be your best self in life mm. and grab that opportunity. And I was really fascinated because I thought... Here I am, I'm a young black girl growing up in the Cotswolds in the 70s. This is a, a young white woman in 1940s London during the war. And absolutely, that play spoke to me. Absolutely. I heard that play in a, in a really powerful way that A, made me say, you know, hang on in there, you'll be okay. And B, go and be an actor. That's what you've always wanted to do, be an actor. Because there was something magical that happened in that space. That David Hare could have had this idea about this woman and that spoke to me in my circumstances. And I, I sort of got the power of that creative communication, I guess. So, um, yeah, hearing and listening. Yes, that's an extraordinary <clears throat> uh, sort of experience and story to really understand and internalise and, and mm. to, to have that influence your way mm. moving forward but yet you went on to study law I did because I was also still a good African daughter <laughs> so interesting yeah I did I did um well what I did was I uh I finished my A-levels horribly badly uh, uh went and worked for Lloyds Bank for a year because I was convinced I was I was never going to do education again I was sick of it and a year of Lloyds Bank made me go so the law degree where is it <laughs> So so then I so then I did two years of a law degree, but actually I still wanted to be an actor. And I I, I joined a black women's group and I met um, a woman in my black women's group. And we went to Greenham Common. We did all of that. And I met a woman in my black women's group who was an actress from the San Francisco Mean Troupe, and she was running acting classes. So when I bailed on my law degree, I did two things. I took up the cello, mm. and um, uh, I started doing Deborah's acting classes, uh, and then. Um, she got funded to do a show in London and I came to London and I've been here ever since. That's amazing, mm. isn't it, really, mm. how things, the twists and turns of, of yeah. life. And, I mean, your yeah. work is all about telling a story, you know, through a character and, and making mm. us feel as though we, we, are, are, we are having that character right in our very own homes, in our own room, in our living room. And how has the, the whole process of coronavirus, how has that changed your particular story? Um, you know, since lockdown, all of the, the mm. challenges that we're, we're facing, what have been the changes for you during these past few months? Well, I think one of the big things is the joy of being with other people and creating has really been uh, derailed in a way. I mean, I just don't know what what we've done if this had happened 30 years ago and we didn't have Zoom or the internet or... Mm. I mean, because I, I have, I've directed two shows over Zoom. Um, uh, I did a third year show at RADA over Zoom and then, um, and then a, a, another smaller piece... Um, a play that I was interested in personally and it's doable and it's actually rather interesting the things you can do you know um you know I, I'm gonna hand you my phone Evelyn yes and then 
you put your hand up there and you receive the phone. So you can do all sorts of... We had fights. We had fighting. <laughs> we had the whole thing. You know, it was fantastic. You know, do you want a, do you want a piece of cake? Yeah, thanks. Oh, lovely. So, you know, there's so much... I just kind of went, OK, so we can't do what we normally do. How can we do... How can we use this medium to try and do something? How can we be together and be creative? So, so... That that was actually quite interesting. I've done an awful lot of monologues and uh, all sorts of things like that, um, which is fine. I've actually been incredibly busy, mm. um, but this frame is not the same as hanging out in a room with a bunch of people. That um, community, uh, I, I've longed for that. Uh, yeah, I, I have. It's, I, I've, I'm, I'm starting to get into um, rehearsal rooms and theatres again. I'm doing a thing at the Young Vic this weekend and we're, we're performing and people are, fil- you know, filming is happening again. But it's, um, I, I think the main story for me over the lockdown period has just been the way um, coronavirus has exposed all sorts of things. Um, so, absolutely socially, um, socioeconomically, all the things that we know about who survives best people people with cash um yeah. but um but but also it's it's exposed to those those things that we know to be true human beings need touch mm. they need um they need to be in communication with they need to be seen they need to be heard they need to be experienced and when we've missed that when we've not been able to do that we suddenly understand you the value of it i think the creative arts although i think there's a huge amount that needs to happen, the support that needs to come from government, theatres that need to be mothballed, not allowed to fall off the cliff, music venues, similarly, all that stuff. But what it's made us understand is we like to be in communion with each other. We're built mm. for community. Um, we're, we're, we're built to share things. It's not even like a, a wartime experience where people still gathered, and it's even that, though things yes. were tough. That's true. It's interesting you should say that because um, just the other day, uh, uh, a, a lady who had gone through the Second World War was asked, well, um, is this virus situation uh, more challenging than the war or vice versa? And, and she said, oh, this is definitely, the, the virus is definitely more challenging um, because during the war they could come together, you know, they mm. could still dance. And yes, you know, they yes. were exposed to the news of death and for many, many families, you know, that was, you know, too close to home. But basically they were able to come together and if anything more together than even before um, because they were supporting each other. And and she said, now, you know, we can't see this person, that person, I can't see my family or members of the family and and I can't go to this place or that place. And and mm. and she she definitely said this was more challenging for her and I'm sure everybody yeah. has their their own experiences and it yeah. is it is interesting that you've been you know using technology um, to to really you know reach out and and expand I suppose the very I mean there's always a way to do something. And and I wonder if for the young generation, so for our, our school kids and so, so on, you know, where technology is almost like an extension of their limbs, you know, they're, they're just so easy with it. And whether they might actually feel, you know what, I would like to get into acting or to some sort of aspects of production or whatever, um, but it, they might have been introduced 
to that through something that's happened via Zoom, can you believe? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, actually, I ran, um, I did a workshop uh, last week in a theatre, at the Bush, in wow. Shepherd's Bush. Uh, I'm an associate there, and my, my good friend Lynette um, is the artistic director there. And um, so I just, I ran a, a, a workshop on, on text, how do you work with unfamiliar texts? And we had uh, 10 people live in the theatre, and then we had about another 25 on Zoom. Oh. And uh, we had a massive screen, and I made everybody... It's a workshop, so you all have to work, do do stuff. Mm. So, uh, and I, I, you know, it may have been that those 25 people on screen would have attended in person in the theatre, but it may be that they, you know, are in Skegness or, you know, wherever, and wouldn't have been able to schlep down to Shepherd's Bush to see... So there are ways in which... You are. You can expand the conversation in in a way. Um, yes, that's in a way that's been thrilling. I I, I know my um, the the all the NT live type things have been fantastically uh, brilliant. My mum lives in the middle of Shropshire. Yeah, you know, up a up a quite a steep hill. Um, <laughs> But has been able to watch all sorts of theatre during lockdown because um, stuff be, stuff has been made available. So, I I think. I think we are kind of really lucky that we've got this technology available. But at the same time, it is the curse of doom when you're on Zoom for, you know, 12 hours. Yes. That sort of thing. You can get um, zoomed out, really. You can get so zoomed out. And mm. I think people get very tired. And uh, somebody said to me they're longing to see the back of people's heads. Yeah, that's funny. Because they, just, funny. they yes. just get this 2D. They do, and a bookshelf. Mm. And a very what impressive bookshelf you have too. <laughs> well, it, it, this bit of the room's clean, so we'll just do it here. And we've got a window. <laughs> and it's so interesting because obviously over the past few months we've all been so aware of the amazing work that our uh, NHS workers have done, the frontliners and, and so mm. many people, people in our community, we've been tapping into... Um, so many people's stories and and I suppose technology again has allowed us to do that and we've been very much impacted by just the realness of people's situations and it sort of draws me to um, the question and that obviously you were an actress in casualty for um, several several uh, series yeah three years three years yeah three years and Mm. so I suppose I'd just like to know, you know, how realistic was that situation, you know, in in depicting the whole medical scene, what goes on in a hospital and so on, um, you know, how how realistic was well, that? Well, um, we had a, a team of medical advisors. Um, we were filming in Bristol then. Uh, they're in, I think they're in Card. They're in Cardiff now. Um, but we so we had uh, medical advisors who you know also were proper doctors and did proper working in mm. hospitals uh, 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 and uh, uh, and um paramedics and nurses so we had a whole range of advisors um so there's always a there's a compromise between re- realism and and depiction of real situations in drama because obviously drama must take place so um you know if you come into my 
Come into my cubicle for five minutes. Now, this thing that's been troubling you for 40 years, Doctor, give you... T- well, I think we're going to... I think we're going to solve it now. Yeah. Um, so, so you kind of go, yeah. Uh, so so, so the, the realism of that... Maybe uh, not so much, but um, and, and obviously they would adapt some medical things to to, to suit the drama. But the procedures, there was there was a brief moment where I did know about your your dots and what tachycardic meant and um, uh, all the Latin. Blah, blah, blah. He's got a bit of you know, as you're pushing the trolley down. He's over there. Get me five pounds of all of that. I did know briefly what I was talking about, but you know, my mind's on a need to know basis, so it's like and wipe. Yes, Next yes. Job. Um, uh, but you would get the you would get the cheeky medical advisor who would go. Yeah, that person's not very good at Latin. Let's give them a really long word in episode five. And then you see them behind the camera like that. Watch, watching this poor actor. Take ten. So, um, uh, but, but, but I think the thing is that you, you wanted to honour the um, people whose lives you were representing as well. Mm. So I wanted to, you know, if I, I was a ward sister, I wanted to be... Uh, and you know, I wanted to honour ward sisters, so you know, hardworking, wise, occasionally quite grumpy, um, and then and then and 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 quite fierce if somebody's messing about, but also really gentle and empathetic and all those things, and super professional and across things. But then also, you know, kind of going yes, and they're human beings, and their kids got measles, or they've just split up with their partner. Or you know the, the the boiler exploded and they've still got to get on shift by six a.m. All the, so you want to sort of bring yeah. bring all all that in. And I would check in with my uh, medical friends and family members. Uh, you know they 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 watch those me- those shows. Med- mm. People in the medical profession. I mean, sometimes people are watching them to go. Yeah, got that wrong. <laughs> Not bad. Okay. <laughs> you know the sort of scorecards <laughs> yes. going on. But you know if they if they thought it was truly dreadful, I'm sure they wouldn't watch wouldn't watch so well, it's, it's, I, I, it's hugely popular yeah you know it's a hugely popular series do you still watch yeah. it no no <laughs> I, I no no once the, the, I mean, the thing is once you for me once you once you've been in something like that you're sort of you can't help it you're going and there's a mid shot and we're just going to come around the side of the thing you can't yes. I can't my brain can't Ooh. divorce from the the technical stuff of Interesting. I can I can see people being stacked up for the shot, you know. Okay, so we've got to have the monitor there, and we'll have this person. So it's really awful. You want to switch your brain off and go, can I just go back to the magic of getting lost in the story? And you kind of go, yeah. not with that show. You'll have to watch ER or something yes. else. <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah. in a way, I, I find myself, if I'm watching another soloist, or, or even if it's not a soloist but a group of musicians... Mm. certainly I'm always thinking about the whole logistical aspect of those musicians simply functioning, everything that's perhaps going on backstage and and the technicalities. And it is hard to just sit there and simply enjoy the music and only the music and just let things go, you know. There's always these things firing in your mind. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Can I just ask you, how was it different composing for theatre as opposed to Evelyn Glennie composing a piece 
that Evelyn Glennie wants to compose because that's what's on your heart or in your mind? Mm. Oh, gosh, there were so many challenges. And, and mm. you know, thankfully, I had the, the wonderful support of my co-composer, David Price, and um, who is much more experienced in writing for theatre. And uh, I think for me, it was absolutely crucial to be in as many of the initial rehearsals with you all as possible, reading through the mm. lines, trying to understand what the story was about, the characters and so on. And that was j the most crucial part, really, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it, I, I needed to, to know, you know who those characters were and what sort of sounds, a sound world that could be um, appropriate for that particular character or the particular scene, the particular mood mm. and, and so on. And... Uh, finding out what the high points were, the climaxes, and what needed to be supported musically or what needed to be almost handed over with the, 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 the actual voices. Um, so when the, the voices became the music and when the music was the music, yes. if, if you know what yes, I mean. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Um, and not to interfere, but, um, or when the voices needed to lead and then the music, you know, then... It takes over. There are all sorts of things. So the, the 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 script was very much part of the musical score, um, but that wasn't just going to happen by reading through, you know, the play at home, not understanding half of it, and just hoping for the best. So it was really crucial to to have all of those weeks together and and just yeah. build everything up like stepping stones. And then, I mean, thankfully, you know, Greg Doran wanted a really percussive score. And, yeah. and so that I was already, you know, a, a happy bunny. Um, and I knew I could be really experimental with the sounds. So it didn't, yes. I didn't really have to find a nice melody or a memorable melody or anything like that because it was such a hodgepodge of, of, of this and that, of extremes and... and um, and the fact that he wanted a percussive set, you know, so yes. all of the garbage <gasps> I love that. hanging, yes. you know, from the ceiling and, yes. and the the big um, crates, you know, yes. at the back where you all appeared from and to have instruments within the crates and so on. I mean, this was all very different, I think, to what had gone before. So it was very much a collaborative effort. And I think mm. then, you know, once once I had the basic skeleton and, and Dave and I recorded many, many, many different sounds here where I'm sitting right now. Um, See, it's fantastic behind you. Is this your well, studio? This, um, this is my office, can you believe? And it's where I can believe. a lot of the instruments are held, but it is possible to, to record a few bits here too. And, and so he and I, Dave and I just you know, recorded lots and lots and lots of different types of sounds, different dynamics, different, you know, um, resonances, different frequencies, you name it. And so we just had all of this, you know, in files and not knowing what we'd need and, and what might be useful and so on. And then as we both attended um, all of these sessions we had together in, in London and then eventually Stratford, it was a case of, of and then trying to get a structure in place um, but what I loved was the collaborative effort um, yeah. and the time 
to do this because normally I'm so used to just going in, out, in, out, in, out for concerts where you're, you almost sometimes feel as though you're on a conveyor belt. But this was a project you knew would last several months and yes. you had to dedicate yourself to that. So all the concerts during that period had to almost, you know, disappear more or less from the diary. And that was a scary thing for me because that's yeah, what absolutely. I do. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, it was absolutely fascinating and fascinating to um, just feel the respect that everybody had for each person's discipline. Um, I think that was very, very important. And, and, you know, you always say that success never happens in isolation. And that was yeah. very much true. Or I felt that was the case, that, um, that, that things, you know, were all part of that chain and, and part of the building blocks to make something happen. But then once the, the um, I think once we started rehearsing the whole play, literally from more or less beginning to end and, and really seeing how things might flow, um, I think yes. that was a, a telling moment as to musically, um, you know, whether this was working. Um, yeah. And so it, it all took, took time, you know, and, and it definitely was a new experience to see the length of time that that's needed for for something yeah. to to happen in theater yeah uh, yeah, yeah it, very interesting. It, it it has to marry it all has to marinate down doesn't it and you have to revisit things and feel how they've shifted or they've settled in in the body or the narrative or yeah absolutely and i think also logistically uh you know because when you think of the the shakespeare theater it's not actually huge you know, it's no. a very intimate space indeed. And, and there are many ideas that I had in my mind where I wanted, you know, players to come from there to there and, and singers um, and, and other musicians who are normally in the little back room and they have to have a screen to watch what's yes, going yes, on. Yes, yes, that's right, that's you know, right. Yeah, I, I know. to peer, you know, suddenly walk across come the out. bridge and, yeah. and all sorts of things. Oh, but, you know, wow. Practically, it just wasn't going to be possible mm. to, to do that in the end. But... Um, but yeah, it, it was a fascinating I, experience. <laughs> I loved it when they were on stage. I loved it when musicians oh. were on stage. It was so fantastic. You know, oh, I know the physical all aspect of that. Oh, was was just fantastic. Fun. It is fantastic, and I think yeah. it's wonderful to be in that situation where you can learn from each other. You know, in disciplines <clears throat> that you're not normally exposed to, and yeah. I learned an awful lot as a musician, as a composer, and. I wished in a way I had that experience as a music student, you know, to, to, to just Interesting. broaden yes. possibilities to, to be aware. What was so interesting, I find, was projection, projection yeah. from you all. And that's something that you are just a master of. It's the presence. So, you know, the presence of projecting, even if you're not saying something, and it, it's almost as though the presence of, of so-called silence in between notes in a piece of music, it's that, so it's not just waiting until you play the next thing. And that's what I found so fascinating, the way that you all use space, you know, yeah. and, and how that had drama. And this is probably so basic for, for actors, I don't know, but for musicians to experience that from a different medium... Um, I, I find really, really interesting and, and very, very powerful, actually. So mm. it, it did make me think of, 
you, you know, how I interpreted certain pieces, you know, when I went into the privacy of my own four walls to just deal with certain pieces of music. Um, yeah. I kind of rethought things based on that experience of being with you all in the theatre, that presence. And, and we always say as musicians, well, your, your musical instrument isn't the clarinet or the voice or a marimba or a drum kit or something. It's mm. the space that you're in. That's the instrument. That's what you paint sound with. And, yeah. and that's what I saw with you is, is your painting expression, you know, through movement, through facial expressions and, and so dynamic. And you could really pick that up in, in the environment of the theatre, you know, and the audience would react to that. It was, it was quite yes. special. Yes. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Oh, I, 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 um, I, 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 language <laughs> is music. It is. I, I think, you know, so, and, and it's really interesting sometimes you're working with an actor or you're, or, or I'm working as an actor mm. and there's a line and somebody trips over it and they just keep tripping over it. Mm. And in the end, you, it, you kind of know it's because the music's not right. Mm. The music of the line isn't right. You know, especially if it's new writing, then you have to re, you have to look at the line. Mm. You have to readdress the line because it's, it's not singing right. It's not... But always you're having to... When, whether you're working on Shakespeare or whatever, you have to sort of... You have to work out what is the... What's the song of this? Yeah. What's yeah. the music of it? Uh, how do... How do I embed it? How do I embed it so that I can deliver it with ease? And it's a, it's always about finding the, the music of whatever it is you're saying. So um, mm. so this, week, this weekend I have this... Um, a new piece has been written for for me to to um perform at the young vic and the way i've been sent it it sits wrong on the page i've I've got to re i have to reframe it because (laughs) to make that so i can see where the music is for me i can't just you know so those sorts of things um absolutely well uh, Mm. i'm I'm just very conscious because don't you have a uh yeah i've got to go i've got an audition an, an audition i can't believe that Yes. An addition. Yes. So it's never mm. ending, really. So, so how... it never stops. Listen, I, I, oh, I was, uh, I, I've worked with some extremely senior and hugely successful actors, uh, who, and everybody's still like, "What's your next job? What are you doing next? What do you?" It mm. never goes. They're always being sort of, "Me, pick me, me, sir, oh, me." That, that never goes. It never, never goes. goes. So you can never truly, Mm-mm. truly be complacent. You can never be complacent, which is a good thing. It's a very good thing. And I think it's a on very good thing. that note, you know, that's a good piece of advice. Keep our feet firmly on the ground. Absolutely. Be curious. Absolutely. Well, I just, you know, want to say thank you so much for, for spending this time with me. And, and you Oh, know, it's been lovely, Evelyn. Thank well, you. No, I've just been a real, real admirer. And I hadn't asked half of the questions that I had lined up. I want to know about Doctor Who. I want to know about all sorts of things. But, you know, <sighs> it, there's, there's maybe another time. and Another time, absolutely. I just want to say yeah. thanks for inspiring us. Thank you for inspiring me as a musician. Um, oh. And to keep me curious to, you know, explore other territories, but just for all the wonderful, wonderful joy that you've given to us over the years. And good luck well, with the addition today. Thank you very much, Evelyn. Th- and, right, and right back at you. You know, you are a fan. <laughs> no, seriously, you are an amazing role model. 
for for all the different aspects of you. You're amazing, amazing, amazing. So oh, thank you. Away you go. All right. Well, you take care. Be safe. All right. <laughs> I will. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one. Bye.